Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are our websites. So I wanted to give you an update on a topic that I addressed last week, and that is with the collapse of financial markets, the value of refinancing your home skyrocketed because interest rates on mortgages have fallen to historical lows. But now lenders are flat out overwhelmed. And in a move that I think is unprecedented, there are anecdotal reports that lenders are posting false rates higher than what they're actually willing to write loans for so that people won't call. (laughs) I mean, I have never heard of that. Over the years, there's always been a problem with lenders who post false low rates to try to get people to call. And then they say, oh, well, you don't qualify for that rate, but we got this higher one for you. And right now, lenders just having a nervous breakdown trying to process all these loan applications for refinances are like, go away. Don't come here at all. Um, Other lenders are gouging. Be very wary of what closing costs are. In fact, as you get quotes from lenders, if you can get quotes from lenders, you must pay close attention to two categories besides the rate, more now than probably ever before an issue. Are you going to have to pay points? Points are a junk fee that you pay, each point is 1% of the amount of money you're borrowing. It's just um, it's just a backdoor way to add profit into the loan deal for the bank. And the other thing is, what are the stated closing costs? You need those closing costs in writing, and you need to figure out, uh, generally, as a back-of-the-envelope rule, what's going to be the cheapest loan after 30 months. So you can take the rate from one lender plus their uh, points, if they charge any, plus their closing costs, figure out what those payments would be over two and a half years, plus all those expenses to creating the loan, and use that as a way to spreadsheet one lender to another to another to see who actually is offering you the cheapest deal or the best deal for you. Um, lenders are starting to put out warnings. I saw one on a credit union site this morning where they said, please accept our apologies. Closings will take far longer than normal right now because of demand. And speaking of uh, credit unions, credit unions, this was not historically true, but credit unions now around the country tend to offer the best rates on mortgages initially and on refinances. Uh, With many lenders, you can now do a lot of the work online or on your phone. Um, There's um, a lender, a huge lender in Detroit that does a big business around the country where you do everything on your phone, reducing the labor component of it, and they're able to handle higher volume at a time of spikes in demand like now. But regardless, the core, the key, 
is you've got these opportunities right now with 30-year loans for people with good to great credit, quoting at about three and a quarter, 15-year loans at about uh, two and three quarters percent. And these are really extraordinary opportunities for you to lower the cost of your housing. The best deal goes to people who can go from being in the midst of a 30-year loan to a refi and a 15-year loan because you get that spread in interest rate that lowers your carry cost on the loan, the interest cost on the loan, and you reduce the number of years you remain in debt by however many years you had left on your 30, you wipe off those years remaining till 15. So let's say you've been in your loan six years, you have uh, 24 years left, you refi into a 15, you cut nine years of your life off from being in debt for that home. It is a great thing if with the lower rates you can still handle the payment. Lydia is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lydia. Hello. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm such a fan of you and your team. Thank you, Lydia. So my question has to do uh, with my daughter. She had her first job last summer, um, but she's 19 and she's in college, and we usually claim her in our income tax return. And since it's tax season... I don't know if she should do her own income tax return. Well, she's not affected from doing a Roth IRA by the fact that you claim her as a dependent. She can still do a Roth uh, for last year. And even if you claim her, she needs to do potentially her own return for what she earned last year. And but go ahead. Is there a minimum amount where you, when you file an income tax return, your own? There is a minimum amount. I'm trying to remember what that amount is these these days. Uh, how much did she earn last year? Uh, the W two, I think it said it was about two thousand five hundred, somewhere around there. Okay, so so you can you can avoid filing taxes. If your income is is very low, I don't see the exact number for that right now. I'm sorry, I don't have that. But it's so simple for her to do a return. Right. She can do it for free because she's going to income qualify. You know, with the standard deduction, she can earn up to 12200 I guess it is, and not have to do a return. But, and I guess it's good practice for the future for her anyway. Yeah, and it's really, really, I had no idea it had been raised that high because it used to be a relatively small amount that you did not have to file a return. So because of the new higher standard deduction, I guess that's why it is so high. But if she files a return, it would be very simple online. I mean, she may even be able to do one, uh, one of the EZs. Okay, so but if so, if she does do a Roth IRA, is is that a necessity? Like you do have to. That's how you prove. That is your a income? great question. Um, all she'd have to do is the odds that she'd ever be audited over that are pretty oh, okay. much zero. So I don't think I'd worry about that. Okay, so but just if she keeps a record of what she made, 
she'll be fine. But again, she can do a return. If all she has is a a simple amount of income from a part-time job, she can do her whole return online and do it for free at irs.gov, clicking on free file. She could do a return in probably under three minutes. Okay, that's a good thing for us to do during uh, her spring break. Wait, during spring break, she's not supposed to be doing something crazy. Instead, she's going to be doing a tax return. Well, it'll it'll take half an hour, right? Right, and so. again, how much did she earn? Uh, about two thousand five hundred. So she can do any amount up to that in a Roth IRA. Okay. And how much are you thinking? Well, she. I don't think she has any left, but um, I might ask her to get some from her savings and maybe put two fifty, and I'll do the parent match. Perfect. So she'd put five hundred yeah. in. So yeah. she could at five hundred, she could go to Schwab or Fidelity. She can't do Vanguard. Okay. I, yeah, I was leaning towards Fidelity. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. She could do the Fidelity Zero Fund, or she could do the um, Fidelity Target Index Fund for for her to be like with whatever the last year is they offer. If it's twenty sixty five or something like that. Okay, great. So um, how do do you just tell them that you want it to count for 2019? Yes, on the form, when you open it online, it has a thing where you tell it, are you doing a 2019 or 2020 contribution? Okay, okay, that'll be it. So as long as it's done before the return is filed, she's good. She's golden. Okay, Okay, great. We have a a month or so. (laughs) Great. And if she didn't want to do the, the target retirement fund, Fidelity has the zero funds, the ones that are completely free, and she could do the total stock market version with that $500. Then you pay no commissions, no fees, So, which is a great, great, great deal, isn't it? Michael's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Michael. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. How can I serve you today? Sure. So uh, I'm a relatively new listener. In fact, my, my mother has been bugging me all the time saying, you've got to listen to this guy, Clark Howard. So I finally gave in. And uh, <laughs> Like punishment. Okay, Mom, you can punish me. I'll listen well, to this guy. Well, 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 like your last caller, I would have been the kid doing, I'm 37 now, but I would have been the kid doing my tax return over spring break. Okay. Um, but anyway, so uh, I, I've been listening for the last couple uh, weeks uh, day, daily, ever since you t- turned me on to your show. And um one of the questions I have is, like, I currently have a, a bank account with one of the big banks, uh, and I know that that's a big no-no in your world. Um, but I also, so I have some accounts with one of the low-cost brokers uh, who offer a savings account option. Uh, so I'm th- thinking about switching. Um, but I guess my concern is, uh, it doesn't happen every day or even every month but, or even every year, but every so often, you have to get something notarized or a signature guarantee or the other kinds of things that you get from walk-in service from a bank branch. And I'm just wondering how you'd go about getting those kind of things uh, if you switch to one of the uh, low-cost brokers and use their their banking service. So I haven't had a traditional bank account in decades. And I I do my banking with one of the discount brokers. And I also have a credit union account. So I've found I've always been able to get the bank-type services done, if not at one, at the other. And so I I haven't paid a fee for quote-unquote banking in so long I can't remember. And yeah, you can ask matter. them, you ask them that yeah. specific question okay. at the discount broker if you've not yet. Ask them, what do you do if you need 
uh, you know, a bank medallion? What do you do if you need a signature guarantee? What do you do for any of the things that that come up? Uh, I mean, very, very rarely. But if they do come up, you got to be able to do it. Ask if they offer you a way to get that stuff done. Okay. And then that same parallel question: Are you do you have an account with the credit union right now? I do, um, and I guess the the trade off is that you know the the big bank has a branch on every corner, you know, right. exaggerating, but and the credit union is a bit of a hike to get to. But so you know, how often location, are you actually not doing a deposit on your phone? Twice a year, if that, maybe. Right. I mean, it's changed so much. I think about that every deposit I do into my account, 100%, I do on my phone. Okay. So, you know, the the advantage of having a zillion branches where you pay all those high fees to have access to those zillion branches just really isn't relevant anymore. I guess I never really thought about just sacrificing convenience, but... I guess to save a little money, it's probably worth it. But you're not sacrificing convenience. That's the thing. Because, all right, uh, someone I'll, something I'll ask people often who are thinking about dumping a giant monster megabank is, how many times in a year do you ever walk in a branch? And I remember the last time I asked that question, the person couldn't remember the last time they'd gone in a branch. So unless you have a special situation that requires that you routinely go in a branch... They serve no role or no purpose in your life. Having the ultra-high cost of a multi-state or national bank, you're best off going where the costs are extremely low and everything's about you, not about them. Today's Clark Rageous moment is just absolutely makes my head shake and I'm just stunned. There's another bank that was cheating its customers Besides that criminal enterprise impersonating a bank, Wells Fargo, in a stunning move, the federal agency that's kind of gone kind of dormant, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, has sued Fifth Third Bank, which is not one of the four giant monster megabanks, but is still of the next tier of the large banks in the country, saying that Fifth Third had employees engaged in practices of falsely opening checking accounts and credit cards specifically to meet sales goals and sales quotas. Fifth Third would not reach an agreement with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and now they've been sued about doing so. Oh, in addition to credit cards, people are opening at the bank, allegedly opening lines of credit And in order to meet goals, they were transferring customer money that was in existing accounts into new unauthorized accounts. Sounds a lot like Wells Fargo. And I don't know why we've had this problem with banks doing so many terrible things. Now, in the case of Fifth Third, they're fighting these allegations. That means they are just allegations and they have a right to defend themselves but according to the consumer financial protection bureau these practices went on for years so know that there are misplaced incentives that have been part of a sales culture 
in a certain number of banks in the United States. And for you, if anything weird happens with your banking, something unexplained, a new credit app that you didn't do, or a new account kit welcoming you to the bank, know that it's likely not a clerical error, but somebody under pressure to meet sales goals, and you're the one whose credit gets dinged and other problems occur because somebody committed fraud against you to try to keep their job. And that is Clark Rages. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. And in the continuing turmoil on Wall Street, uh, a lot of uh, the stock market is now in what's known as a bear market, meaning that values have declined by 20% or more. And this will be a seesaw that continues to go up and down over trading sessions. But the general direction is going the wrong way. And so a lot of people are very nervous about what this means to the money they have saved. For most individuals, it's money saved in an IRA, a Roth, or a 401k, or some other form of retirement account from an employer. And this is an unsettling time where we don't know where the bottom is. We never do. But know this, that values on stocks, forget coronavirus, which is the triggering event for the decline in stocks. Stocks in the United States were, by historical measures, overvalued. Even with the declines that have put us into a bear market, stocks are at the least still fully valued. And there are reasons why stocks have carried a higher what's known as P.E., price-earnings ratio, than historical, and that's because interest rates have been so low that people who would have had money in savings accounts, CDs, or bonds or bond funds have been putting money into stocks, inflating their values, lacking a good alternative of where to put money to work. Now, the reality is, this is what's so weird about investing. Stocks are much less risky now, going forward, having had this decline, than they were before the decline occurred. Because the intrinsic value of the companies, except for those in the travel business that no one can figure out what their actual value is right now, outside the small number of companies that are directly in the travel business like the cruise lines and the airlines, uh, the, the intrinsic value of companies is now more sound related to their stock. So if you do, in fact, do, like most people, the only exposure you have to the stock market is through what you invest through a retirement account, you just keep on keeping on and let the Wall Street crowd freak out. Let the business news channels and the cable news channels go through their full freak out and put up the big banners. I saw one yesterday on CNBC, which is the channel most of the people in investment houses are watching. And it's got this this bug on there, you know, the thing on the screen, market sell off, bear market. <laughs> 
all about keeping the eyeballs. And so uh, I am actually a very heavy investor in the market. And I have changed nothing. And I have no intention of changing anything because I'm very well diversified. And I know my goal and I know my time horizon. And so nothing for me has changed from this. There are a group of people who invest who are being hit with what's known as margin calls, where people have done something uh, that is very high risk, where they borrow money against stocks to buy more stocks. And so when stocks decline, they get hit with a demand that they immediately come up with money to pay off those loans. And a lot of times people can't do it and their positions are sold to close out the loans. And that creates some of the volatility, some of the decline in the market, because the people have been speculating with borrowed money. And that's so few of us. And that's not the real action. The real action ultimately over time is you make money if companies make money. And more years than not, companies that you're owning indirectly through the index funds and mutual funds inside a retirement account, they make money. The value of the stock over time climbs based on those profits. And so unless the this is the end of the world, the only thing that's the end of the world is the end of the world. If it was the end of the world, it doesn't matter. Nobody's looking to see, oh, what happened with my index fund today? We're not at the end of the world. We're at a time that's unsettled with a medical pandemic, an emergency that's going to take a while to get our arms around and resolve. And it's leading to a decline in demand in many industries. And so this is a temporary phenomenon. And understand that when, when, I didn't say if, when this time passes a pandemic, the underlying economic conditions in the United States and elsewhere in the world are sound. There's nothing like the banking scandals of 13 years ago, unlucky 13. There's nothing like the, the criminal practices of the banks from, that came to a head in 07, 08, and 09. There's nothing like that in the midst of this. So the fundamentals of our economy and others are solid. Yes, our economy was slowing before coronavirus. Other countries were in mild recessions before coronavirus. But the underlying conditions of the market are solid, and don't worry about it. Don't worry. Be happy. Sleep well at night. Um, on the issue of dealing with illness, several major prescription drug plans, pharmacy benefits managers, and the rest, including traditional drugstore chains, are waiving rules about how many pills you can have on hand of a prescription. People are nervous about running out of meds for maintenance meds. You know, I have um, asthma and I have cancer. <laughs> Gosh, I sound terrible, don't I? I'm okay. I'm okay. And so there are medicines I take for both. And so uh, the result of that is being on maintenance meds. I take 
a regular prescription and I'm with a pharmacy benefits manager that sends me my meds every 90 days. But there are a lot of us that, that have meds on a 30-day cycle, even if they're a maintenance med, or you may be on a med that normally your doctor likes to write for, 90, for 30 days. But right now, you can get most meds that you take on a 90-day instead of 30-day cycle. You also can potentially step up and buy a little earlier if you're nervous about having access to the meds you need you're able to get that supply earlier than the normal cutoff date because if you're on any kind of prescription drug plan, uh, you know any kind of insurance plan or insurance type plan for meds, they limit to a certain date when you can refill that prescription. And a lot of those limits have been raised. And if you are at all nervous, check with your um, whatever the plan is you're on and see if you can go ahead and do an early fill or a bigger fill if that's what you wish to do. Jennifer joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking my call and uh, and also for being my driving companion every day because I listen to your podcasts on my commute both to and from work every day. Well, I am so glad that I've been able to shorten your drive for you, at least what it feels like. It, it, it has definitely shortened it, believe me. It's helped a lot. I've learned a lot, so thank you. Certainly. So my question is this. My son is going to be graduating from college in May, and basically he paid for college through a combination of uh, a academic scholarship, Pell Grant, and also government subsidized and unsubsidized loans. So he's going to graduate with a debt of $34,000 for his entire time in college. And that is a very reasonable amount in most cases. Uh, yes. You know, I, usually I don't get nervous about student loan borrowing for an undergraduate degree anywhere right around the $30,000 figure. And what I've said over the years, you probably have heard on the podcast, is that if you borrow a total of approximately what you expect to earn the first year on your job or less, you'll be fine. Yes. 34, he should be okay. He, he's going into um, cybersecurity, so it's a, it's a well-paying field, and so I, he's, he's going to do very well you know, financially um, in terms of what he's going to make per year, even right out of college. He's, he's actually starting uh, grad school this fall, um, but when, he, when all is said and done, he'll, he'll hopefully be making a very nice living. So my question for you is that I've managed in the last five years to save $10,000 that I want to put toward um, his, uh, his balance of his student loans, reducing it to, you know, from 34000 to about 24000 that he will then have to take care of, you know, over time. So I'm not sure how this works. Okay, uh, I can, I, can I say something to you that is one parent to another? Yes, of course. Okay, I would say that amount of debt is very reasonable for him, 
and you have done so much for him over the years. Let him do this. I know as, a, as out of a mother's love, you want to reduce that by about a third, but he's going to be earning an income more than sufficient to take care of the loan balance he has. And this money would be very useful to you for your life and ultimately at the point you retire. I agree with that. I do. Um, I just, it's something that is very, very important to me to do for him. Um, You know, many parents, they went from when the time that their children are born, they start saving for them for college. You know, you talk about it all the time, the different savings plans. Um, I wasn't able to do that. I got divorced a few years ago. And this is something that has been a dream for me to to help him in this way. Um, well, you you are a kind soul, and I should not be throwing cold water on what you want to do. So I, I no, but I, I I appreciate what you're saying. I do, and I I do think it probably is the smartest move for me financially to do exactly what you said. Um, but it's also a dream for me to do what I would like to do for him, which is to to pay ten thousand of his thirty four thousand dollar debt because I didn't pay really a penny for tuition or any of that during the time that he was in college. Well, and, the easiest you know, most- way for you to do it is you're allowed to give any individual up to fifteen thousand dollars in a year without any okay. tax consequences at all. Just tell him as his graduation gift, you you have saved this money up for him to use to extinguish uh, roughly a third of his student loan debt, and congratulations on your degree, and give it to him to pay down that debt. So I don't have to, like, because I wasn't sure, like, do I make the payment to the loan company, you don't have or do to I at give all. him I mean, the money? No, if it was much more money, if it was much larger, there are different rules involved. But because it's ten grand, you can keep it as simple as possible. So it doesn't matter whether I pay the money to the loan company or he does? None at all. Okay. And is there any kind of anything that has to get filled out um, from an IRS standpoint? Not at all. Any sort of gifting form? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, this is easy then. It is hyper easy. Awesome. Yeah, so... Um, best to you and your son is obviously very very lucky to have you as his mom oh well thank you thank you so much i appreciate you answering that because you know i really wasn't sure if there was any sort of tax event that was going to get triggered and i didn't want either one of us to have a problem you know on our taxes just remember when he's making so much money down the road he can gift you money every year (laughs) (laughs) It can work both ways. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, John. I understand you're trying to get your money under control. Yeah, I took your advice a while back. I have... uh simplified things i've always been frugal but i really wanted wanted to know where it was going you know in terms of categorization and things and i took your advice and i have a credit card that pays double double cash if you will and city double cash or the the fidelity double cash yeah straight from your website and your team it's it's awesome it's nice and simple you're not sitting there going like oh you know i got to go to this gas station or i got to go to restaurants for more or whatever it's just two percent straight up i see i love offers like the one that city has and the one fidelity has with its cards where you just pay no fee no annual fee and just get a straight two percent cash back it's not like an airline card where you pay a big annual fee and then you can only use your miles on the third tuesday and never and stuff like that so yeah i love that you're doing that yeah, it's it's excellent, and so I just have that, and I have my uh, de- you know my my checking account, and then I used a uh, free service that um, was well touted and, and seemed to work good for a while, but now they're just miscategorizing things, and they just seem to be an advertisement for their parent company. They Are you another really complainer to... about Mint? <laughs> it's Mint. Sir. Yeah, I'm it getting just... so many negative comments about meant that their parent company has fouled it up and online there are so many people complaining because their parent company is also buying um uh credit karma and people are worried they're going to ruin credit karma so they're getting a bad rep uh there so are you thinking of switching to their arch rival yeah yeah And and i saw it i saw it in one of your um I get your newsletters and, and alerts and deal alerts and things like that. And it was, um, but I mean, you get what you pay for, I guess, you know, it's, it's not cheap. Yeah. You need and a budget is what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah. Y-N-A-B is right. everybody calls it. Oh, so with them, you pay 84 bucks a year. You get to try it out for a month for free, but then it's 84 bucks a year. But the budgeting tools are extreme and people who really want to be motivated to live on less and and build up savings and reduce debt, love using you need a budget. And so, yeah, you're paying for it, but people have been happy with the results. But the cool thing, you can dump them at any time they have this money-back guarantee. I don't know anybody who's actually used it, who's gotten their money back that way, but they say it's there. And the budgeting tools seem to make people happier by far than using Mint. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.